Whatever the moon was to us before or is to us now, in the future, it'll just be home. Coming to you from the future through a hole in the space-time continuum that hasn't been patched yet due to a lack of infrastructure funding, it's time for Tales from the Moon in Stereo Sound Division. This episode is brought to you by Moondog Pizza, the finest pizza in the cosmos. And if you don't believe it, prove it. Free drone delivery in Beto Bay to all points west of Gagarin Avenue. Full pies only, no slices. In this episode, it probably makes sense to backtrack a bit from our study of the future people of the moon, since what we really care about is us, and talk about the most important question coming out of our first episode. What exactly happened with the Earth and this asteroid anyway? Why didn't we people of the Earth, or Earth as it's called now, just blow the thing up before it hit us like in the movies, or send up a robot rocket to just sort of brush it out of the way? Well, the truth is, we tried, but you know how it goes. The job went out to bid, and the lowest bidder won, and then someone who should have never had the job anyway, probably someone's cousin, forgot to carry it too, and years later the rocket missed the asteroid by about 50 miles, but no one on the rocket team told anyone else on Earth because they thought they'd get in trouble. They finally shared the news about a day before the asteroid hit, saying, Gee, guys, what can we say? Sorry, our bad. The name of the asteroid was just a long string of numbers, but since no one was going to be satisfied with that, I mean, come on, an asteroid that's going to possibly end civilization and it has a boring name, various other names were suggested, such as The Beast, 666, Satan, Kali, Suter, and even Godzilla. All these names being associated with the apocalypse, or at least beings that could give a major city a real working over. People of Earth were still arguing about the name when the asteroid hit just east of Cincinnati, Ohio, and unleashed a firestorm across the planet, filling the atmosphere with smoke and dust, and triggering a winter that lasted over 300 years. The Earth went silent. People of Mars were by this time largely self-sufficient. The moon and the space stations, however, still depended on regular water deliveries from the Earth. And Mars was very far away. Things were nip and tuck for a year, until Captain Harry Beto happened to fall into a crater and land on top of the largest ice deposit ever found on the moon and saved humanity's bacon. Not that anyone in the future now remotely remembers what actual bacon was. They have something they call bacon. But if you saw it, you'd assume it was used for something like housing insulation, and you certainly wouldn't want to eat it. Now, getting back to the moon. Do those future people up there circling around the Earth, or the Earth as it's called now, think about us, we people back hundreds of years in the past here on Earth? The truth is, well, no. Ask yourself, do we now think about people back in the Great Plague in the 1300s? During the fall of the Roman Empire, or even the American Civil War. That wasn't all that long ago in the history of the cosmos. So, do those people on the moon of the future worry about whether we're getting enough to eat back in the past now, or whether we take our vitamins? No, not hardly. Maybe if they're in school and they've got to write a paper about us or something. Time is like that. One minute you're hanging by your tail in a tree eating nuts, the next you're trying to get into a corset and high-button shoes, and before you know it, you're on the surface of the moon trying to figure out whether you'll be able to get inside and out of your moon suit before you have to pee. That's just how it is. So what do they actually think about, these people of the future on the moon? Well, probably about whether they're going to get a raise or 
why the cute boy in class doesn't pay enough attention to them, or, gosh, we've got all these channels and all these virtual sensor streams that jack straight into our heads, and yet there's still nothing good on. What's with that? Maybe they're just thinking about what's for dinner. How do they live on the moon in the future, you ask? Well, most folks live in big dome cities like Port Armstrong, a big, pretty rough port town. Tranquility City, which is more like one of our suburbs. Clavius Crater Town, which is where a lot of the rich people live. Or Beto Bay, an artsy bohemian community sitting in a bay on an artificial lake. A lot of these dome cities are built inside old craters. Some people who have a lot of money build their own domes. Of course, everything is all connected together by old underground lava tubes that have been pressurized, and underground roads and parks and bark trails and dog walks, stuff like that. There are even gated dome communities with dome owners associations that get into everyone's business. Some people with less money live deep down in the lava tubes, or if they're really hard up, in the sub-levels dug deep, deep into the moon. A few people have jobs out on the surface in moon suits, but most people prefer to stay cozy inside, since however you tailor a moon suit, it just doesn't flatter the figure, and no matter what they do to the things, for some reason, even after all this time, there's still no way to scratch your nose. After a few hundred years of silence, the people of the Earth, who now call it the Earth, have gotten back in touch. It seems they didn't all perish after all. Outstanding! Having spent the intervening time on a planet covered with ice and snow, however, they do seem to have acquired a few rough edges, to put it mildly, and will take some getting used to. Well, major apocalyptic events being what they are, you can't have everything. We're now at a point where the Earthlings are finally starting to have trade with the Moon and the solar system again. As we learned last episode, a couple of disc jockeys on the mood made some unhelpful remarks about the Earth over the years. They said they just meant them in good, clean fun. In response, the Earthlings celebrated the first express delivery up from the Earth in over 300 years by sending them a bomb. Since that little dust-up, things have settled down. The Earthlings coolat, or violation of taboo, with the disc jockeys was declared satisfied. The disc jockeys went in skipper whose studio was bomb-proof after some earlier trouble with people from Mars, Ceres, Titan, and, well, just about everywhere else, were a bit shaken up, but otherwise fine. They took a vacation on Clark Station, and then were put to work for a while doing a show for small children, who, it turns out, understood them perfectly. Over the following episodes, we'll sample different aspects of lunar life. Love, housing, what there is to eat, and other stuff. For now, let's continue our orientation to moon and earth culture, by tuning into a briefing at the Lunar Board of Earthling Trade and Cultural Relations. Greetings, staff. Assistant Associate Vice Counselor Randall Breitling here. First, congratulations on being chosen to serve as escorts to some of the first Earthlings to come up from the Earth to the Moon after the long cessation of relations. A month-long course of indoctrination will follow. I thought I'd kick things off, however, with a few key remarks on dealing with our friends from down below. First, be sure you have had your full course of inoculations before first contact. Lunatics are susceptible to a great many ERT diseases. The ERT is basically a giant petri dish full of very nasty germs, and every earthling holds within its body an ongoing science experiment conducted by competing earth colonies of microbial life bent on contaminating you and then overrunning the entire cosmos. Do not play their game. You are the moon's beachhead. 
Meet these microbes with a firm will and strong constitution. Get all your shots. Proof of all inoculations is required for any escort duties or other close contact. Second, a bit about personal decorum. When you first meet an earthling, approach slowly with your hands open and low to your sides to show you have no weapons. Earthlings are nervous and tend to be highly vigilant and quick to take offense. Do not show your teeth at first greeting. They could take this as a sign that you want to bite them. Third, do not ever, under any circumstances, make any quick movements around an earthling. We have learned this at great cost. They could react with violence or simply start screaming and try to duck into the nearest promising-looking hole. They come by this caution honestly. Their earth is now apparently home to a rather large variety of oversized predators, including such creatures as, um, burrs, cougars, and, um, gators. Fourth, when you meet an earthling, do not wrinkle your nose. The earthlings believe that bathing is unhealthy and have a very strong musky odor. This is unfortunate, but you must control yourself. Earthlings take a wrinkling of the nose as a sign of sexual attraction. Now, this is the final point. Sexual relations, even if desired, between lunatics and earthlings is strictly forbidden until we can sort out certain significant cultural differences. Many earthlings are highly attractive. This is a fact. They live under full earth gravity and are muscular and lead active lives out under the sun. They tend to be tanned, energetic, very fit. You might find yourself strongly attracted to some of them despite or possibly because of their rough and savage demeanor. Take care. Even mild disagreements with earthlings have led to kulat, some sort of earthling cultural offense or violation of taboo we don't fully understand. And some of these have resulted in violence. So, no hanky-panky. Or before you can say Werner von Braun kept his space pants on, You'll find yourself posted to a remote ice station on Mars for the balance of your career, haggling over iron prices with the goom. And now, though full Ertling language training will follow in the weeks ahead, some first handy phrases in Ertling. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to give offense. Please stop hitting me. I'm a friend. I'm sorry. I'm not offensor. Is hit or na, friend. No, you can't eat that. Nah, not been in just store. I'm sorry, you can't just take that. You have to pay for it. To take it could cause a big problem with a moon person. I'm sorry, you no take. You must money pay. Take maybe make kulat mit moony. No, I'm sorry. I do not want to have romantic relations with you. We're just friends. No, I'm sorry. I'm not interested or mookie mookie. Ani friends. Thank you. And I look forward to our full course in the weeks to follow. Next... Since I can tell you're still worried about how we people in the past on the Earth are remembered, let's tag along on a field trip with Miss Ada Astra and her fourth grade class to the Tranquility City Historical Society.
right, class. Gather round. Gather, gather, please. Jimmy Arbuthnot, please stop bouncing around like a radioactive particle. Everyone settle down. Show everyone just how grown up the students of the Werner von Braun Middle School can be. <laughs> so, this is the Tranquility City Historical Society. Did On the first did floor... Did class! On the did first two. floor, we have exhibits from man and woman's first forays to the moon from the earth. Actually, they didn't let women go do fun stuff like that back then, which was a tremendous oversight. Women in those days never had any fun of any kind, but never mind. What's a foray? Don't be dense, Jimmy. You always ask such stupid questions. A foray is... Well, yes. Uh, let's... Let's just say a foray means the first time you go to some planet or moon or asteroid or whatnot and hop around on it and discover things. All right? Okay, fine. So this gallery commemorates the first visits the Earthlings made here to our dear Mother Moon. And you see here's a plastic flag with some wire in it and a lot of stars and things on it that they left behind. That was from the United States of something or other. America. Yes, very good, Daphne. You see there, someone's been reading their assigned text. And here we have something called a golf ball. We really don't know what that was, but it was so important, apparently, an Earthling astronaut called Alan Shepard brought one all the way up here from the Earth, put it on the ground, and then hit it with a special golf stick. So it went way across the surface for miles and miles. Then he just went off and did something else and left it behind. Maybe he forgot about it. Anyway, uh, we don't know why he did all that. Earthlings are very odd. Uh, the ball's been x-rayed, and we've Jimmy done some spectrographic analysis on it and everything, but it's nothing special. It, it says Daisy on it. That might have been a minor god. And the number 43 is written on it. That's a prime number. We like prime numbers. But we, who knows? I mean, what it means really. Anyway, it seems like a perfectly normal ball. So we're thinking maybe it had some sort of religious significance. Records indicate Earthlings used to watch golf rituals on Sundays, which was their day for paying attention to God and asking him not to smite them. There are some scholars who think the ball represented an egg and that hitting it was some sort of fertility rite. They had a big holiday that was all about hiding eggs and finding them again, though it didn't seem to involve hitting them with sticks. No stick this involvement of any kind. stupid. Anyway, what you see here is a ball, and it's small and white, and it's got these little dimple things all over it in the number 43, and it says Daisy, whatever that means, and they hit it with a stick and left it behind, and that's all there is to say about that. And here's a statue of Captain Harry Beto, the head of the first southern polar lunar colony. He's the great hero of the moon, so I want you to remember his name so that years from now, when people mention him at parties, you have some vague idea what they're talking about and you don't look totally stupid and bring shame to the name of the school. Captain Harry Beto was the one who happened to discover the first huge ice deposit at the South Pole. He was out exploring, and he happened to fall down into a crater. On his butt! Yes, Jimmy. Well, yeah, technically, he did fall into the crater and land on the ice on his bottom. Harry Beto landed on his hairy butt! Jimmy, be still. Honestly, and we say bottom. It's a more acceptable word in polite society. You don't want people thinking you're a total savage, do you? Good luck there, Jim. Anyway, 
Here's a gallery with a lot of other stuff <laughs> that the Earth people brought up here and left behind. There's a bunch of smashed up landers and robots and busted mechanical things. And and here's some dirty dishes and candy wrappers. My, they were messy, weren't they? I hope you pick up your habitat better than that. And here's a copy of something called the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue and some cheap detective novels. And here's outside? some dirty socks and underwear. I don't know about historical accuracy, but I think someone ought to launder those. No telling what horrible ert cooties you might catch from them. That's why they're all sealed up in a biohazard container, you see. The ert has very dangerous cooties, children. Always has had. You should all know that in case you ever run into an ertling. They have cooties that could kill you stone dead just as soon as look at you. Don't let an ertling breathe on you. And for goodness sake, don't shake hands with them. It's also rumored, Jimmy, that ertlings eat children who have been bad. But you didn't hear that from me. Now, Jimmy, come back here. J Jim, honestly, I think we ought to tie that child to a pillar in a lava tube and leave him for some tube monsters to deal with. There's no such thing as tube monsters. Well, Jimmy, I guess you'd know if one came to eat you, wouldn't you? Good luck telling that big tube monster he's just a bunch of hooey right before he gobbles you up and you slide down his slimy gullet into his stomach full of acid and burn as if in the fires of hell. Anyway, and here's some other exhibits about missions they did after the first one to come here and walk around on the moon and drive around on the lunar rover, but that's all boring and no one's paid any attention to any of that. Jimmy, please stay in close. And here's the main exhibit. This is the actual moon dust and the actual landing module and the actual footprints that Neville or Neil, whatever, Armstrong made when he took mankind's first steps upon the moon. The whole building has been built around this spot at great expense, and the footprints have been undisturbed, perfectly preserved for hundreds of years. Oh my God, Jimmy, you, you, you've just run across a priceless historical artifact you've completely... My God. All right, children, turn your backs, everyone. Form a little fence around the exhibit. Hands over ears. That's good. Let me see. Miss Astra has to put on her thinking helmet for a minute. If I just, um... Who has the largest feet in the class? Ah, you are still listening, I see, you little devils. Never mind. Harold, you are an enormous thing. Let me see your shoes. Hmm. Yes, close enough. Take them off for just a minute. You'll get them right back. Thank you. So, we take a comb and we just smooth out this terrible mess Jimmy made. And then we just put a few new footprints here. There we are. Good as new. Harold, put back on your shoes. Very good. And just sort of scuff off a bit of that dust. Thank you very much. All right, class, we're going to move on to the next gallery. Quick, quick, quick. This one is about industry or something. Everybody join hands with your field trip buddy. There we go. Hurry up.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Tales from the Moon. If you're curious to hear more about future lunar culture, how the Earthlings and the people of the moon get on after a rather rough reacquaintance, and what exactly happened to, well, all of us on Earth back in the past, tune into our next episode of Tales from the Moon, which should appear in roughly two weeks. And if you feel enlightened by this podcast and think it might lead to the cultural betterment of others, please tell a friend. This is Eric T. Brandenburg signing off until next time. To keep up with events on the moon, go to www.talesfromthemoon.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Moontail Podcast and on Facebook at Tales from the Moon Podcast. Tales from the Moon is produced, written, and performed by Eric T. Brandenburg, thanks to zapsplat.com for the music and sound effects. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.